This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 1, starting verse number 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We took a look at last week about the importance of, again, verse number uh, 19 says we should be uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, and that doesn't mean that we should hold our tongue and think about things before we speak, and those are not verses, uh, a, a verse that pertains to interpersonal communications or uh, good tips for your marriage or good ways to communicate. That's specifically speaking because of the way that it's couched in the context. It's speaking about our reception to the Word of God. And so we'll see in this passage here, uh, not only tonight but also next week, our attitude towards the Word of God determines the power of the Word of God in our own lives. I'll say that again. Our attitude towards the Word of God determines the power of the Word of God in our own life. Again, we see that if we're we're not swift to hear, we don't want to hear the Word of God, it's not going to make it into our hearts. If we're quick to argue with the Word of God and we want it to say what we want it to say, it's not going to have the intended effect. If we want to uh, be angry with what God said, the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness, or the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And now we see here tonight, it says that we should lay apart our wickedness and sinfulness so that we can receive the word of God. We're talking about the preparation of our hearts for the word of God. And James here, I love this. I love, love, love. And again, if you understand uh, how the Bible is written and how we got the Bible together and things like that, James speaks of the Word of God as the engrafted Word of God. And the idea of engrafted is it's something that wasn't before in us but has been planted inside us. And you say, why is that such a big deal? Because John at this point, again, I'm sorry, James was the half-brother of Christ, and so he spent a lot of time around Jesus and things like that. But John, I'm sorry, James did not have access at this point to the Gospels the way that you and I do. Uh, again, James was more than likely one of the very first New Testament books that was written. And so James is writing here, if you, if you want to use it this way, James is kind of writing blind. He can't say, hey guys, you remember in the Gospels this story here, let's, let's refer back to that. He can't be like, uh, hey, remember that thing that, that Paul said? Let's, let's remember his words to the, to the church at Thessalonica. He doesn't get the luxury of saying, hey, when Peter challenged us, here's what Peter said. He's kind of just going here on his own, beginning what we'll have as the New Testament. Now, mind you, James is writing every single word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. James didn't just sit back and think, hmm, I want to write a letter to the 12 tribes scattered, and here's some thoughts that I have. The Holy Spirit moved him, because again, all Scripture given by inspiration of God, God breathed, and we receive the Word of God as men were moved by the Spirit. And so James is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the 12 tribes that are scattered, to new Christians. And here's what he says. Receive the word of God, the engrafted, the planted word of God. Why is that a big deal? Because in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a story. Keep your finger here in James because we're going to come back in just a second. But turn, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 13. 
And does anybody want to guess of this, about the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13? The parable of the, anybody want to help? Sower, somebody said it. Parable of the sower. And so it's interesting here, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, verse 18. That while James says that you need to lay aside your sinfulness so that you can receive the planted word of God, that Matthew chapter 13, verse number 18, Jesus says this, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now Jesus has already given the parable and the apostles came to him and says, Jesus, you're speaking in stories that we don't understand and Jesus says, well, let me explain it to you. That's where we find ourselves in verse number 18 and 19. Verse 19 when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. And so Jesus explains four different types of soil. The seed is the word of God. And what happened with the word of God wasn't dependent on the word of God because the seed is always good. The determining factor is the soil in which it lodges. And he says the first one is the wayside soil. Verse number 20, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same he heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath not rooted himself, but dureth for a while. When tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also received the seed among the thorns, as he that heareth the word and the care of the world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and becomes unfruitful. But he that receiveth the seed in good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Here's what Jesus said. The seed itself is good, but the seed can only do work based on the type of soil in which it lodges and jesus lists four different types of soil and so the problem is never with the word of god as long as you and i are faithful to teach god's word the problem is never with the word for those of us that have children you should be teaching your children the word of god and if you teach your children the word of god and they grow up and decide to go their own way and turn their back on uh, the things of god or they turn their back on their faith the problem was not with the seed the word of god i've seen so many uh, teenagers that when they become adults begin to throw off their faith and there's even a popular word for it now called deconstruction where they basically begin to take apart their faith and while deconstruction sounds like a beautiful uh, process of taking apart things to examine them like one would take apart uh, the Millennium Falcon Legos and if they put together and take everything apart to look at it again deconstruction is not beautiful the Bible has a word for it it's called apostasy it's not beautiful when someone has taken the things of God and has said, I have no need for these things because I desire the things of my own or the things of this world. It's not a beautiful process. And so there's a whole movement online of people who call themselves ex-evangelicals and deconstruction and all this other stuff. And people write books about it and things along those lines. It's not a beautiful process of discovering yourself. It's an awful process of turning your back on the truth of the Word of God. But please understand, while churches are not perfect while theology definitely gets sideways, while Bible doctrine, uh, good solid Bible doctrine is sometimes in short supply these days, if you stand on the Word of God, you have good Bible doctrine and good theology, the problem is never with the seed itself. It's always good. 
the problem comes with the soil. I don't know about you, but there's been times before where I've shared my faith with somebody and they just totally, 100% were not interested at all. Not going to hear it, don't want to hear it, not interested in it whatsoever. And, and sometimes I walk away from that thinking like, oh, what could I have said differently? Or what could I have shared in a different way that would have helped them to come to truth? Or what's a Bible verse that I could have pulled out of my back pocket and used in this situation? And then I have to realize that in situations like that, often the problem is not with the seed, the problem is with the soil. And so, again, if you and I think that every time we share our faith that somebody should get saved, uh, that's just not reality. If Jesus Christ, who knows the thoughts and intents of every single heart, can have a conversation with a man and says, sell everything you have and follow me, and the man says, no, then the problem wasn't with the words that Jesus used, the problem was the soil in which it was trying to be lodged in. And so, four different types of soil that we see uh, in this passage. First of all, the wayside soil. He hears, he doesn't have any understanding of the word, and Satan snatches it away. So again, this is, it just falls on hard ground, stony ground. I hear what you're saying. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't jive with me. Maybe I don't even believe what you have to say. And the first moment that there's an opportunity available, Satan comes and snatches it up. Now, again, I've, I've shared the gospel with people who are definitely wayside soil. Hey, I'm thankful that you found something that works for you, but I have no desire for that in my life. Hard soil. What do we do in cases like that? We pray that God would soften the soil of their heart. That God would open them up to truth. The second type of soil that we see in this passage here is stony soil. They hear the word. They enjoy the word. But the problem is it never makes any root. It never gets down deep into their heart. And when difficulties and trials come, they bolt. This is often very, very prevalent in progressive churches and charismatic churches where much uh, is made of emotion and the way that you feel. And we got to get you hyped up and really excited. And look, I can whip a crowd into a frenzy. I can get people pumped up. I even did it tonight and you didn't even know it. Right? All right, we're going to sing this song, and we have a copious amount of instructions on how we're going to sing this song. Here we go. And here's what I did in the back. And Trey goes, that's the loudest clap I've ever heard. I should have ear protection back here. And so, but here's the thing. I'm going to do a little golf clap back there. And what happened? Man, people started, like, chucking and jiving, going crazy. People started, started taking their kids and shaking their kids with them and stuff like that. Man, I thought somebody was going to dance a jig down the aisle. I mean, crazy. What happened? I started clapping. And here's the thing. Was that wrong? No. Praise God. If there's a reason to clap, then I praise God because this is the day that the Lord has made. Parents, side tip, good parenting advice. You want to excite your kids in the morning, flip on the light and go, this is the day, this is the day. Man, they love that. They love it. Uh, and you don't get any response, and you start bouncing on the bed. We will rejoice. We will rejoice. Man, it fires your kids up every time. My kids can attest to it. But here's the thing. It was fun, wasn't it, to praise God together. Man, exciting, fun. Imagine if we had, like, I don't know, an hour of that. 
just fired up, frenzy, clapping, excitement. Imagine we turned down the lights a little bit. We threw a little bit of smoke in here. We got laser lights there shooting everywhere around the auditorium. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. We're excited. We're, pump, jump, we're pumped. We're jumping up and down. We got to stop and take a water break because we're getting dehydrated here. And then we kind of bring it down. We bring the lights down low and the lights start going off and these ladies come up on the stage and begin singing about the goodness of God. We're just like, oh, man. And, and I come up and I say, just close your eyes and let the goodness of God wash over you tonight. And you're just like, yes, wash over me, yes. And then I get up and I say, hey, here's three great things that we know about the goodness of God. First of all, God loves you. Second of all, God's for you. And number three, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen. Let's, let's, let's have the girls up again to sing about the goodness of God. And I want you to stand to your feet and close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven tonight, and let's sing of the goodness of God. And we just do that. And, and man, we, we leave here and we say, wow, the Spirit really met with us, didn't it? No, 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 no. We created a hyped-up environment that when you leave, what do you know? Uh, I know that God's good. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Man, I'm soaked. I'm sweating. <laughs> like, wow, that was awesome. Here's the problem. You enjoyed hearing what you heard, but there was no depth to it. There was no root there. So when you go to work this week and your boss tells you, hey, we're looking at cutting 10% of the company and you're the one that got cut, then you remember back about what, the goodness of God? Hey, this doesn't feel very good. Hey, I thought there was no weapon formed against me should prosper. I just got fired. What happened with that? And you go home only to find out that your landlord, now that the eviction moratorium's over, they're raising your rent by $500 a month. And you're like, I just lost my job. And your landlord says, I don't care. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought God loved me. I thought God was for me. And there was no weapon formed against me that could prosper. I wish I could go back to Sunday night where I just felt the goodness of God wash over me, but it doesn't feel good anymore. You know why? Because there's no depth to that. And what happens according to this passage? There's no root, difficulty comes, and the seed is gone. And then people walk away saying like, yeah, I did the whole Jesus thing, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, because there was no depth to it. <laughs> Look, you hang around who we call long enough, you're going to hear. Life is hard, but God's faithful. You will experience trials. There is always victory in Jesus Christ, but victory doesn't look like what you think victory looks like. That while life is hard, God is always good. While you experience difficulty and disappointment in life, God never disappoints. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will never be disappointed. God's word has the answer to everything that ails you in life. You'll hear things like that. That has some, some legs to it. That has some depth to it. And so, again, we have stony soil. Enjoy hearing the word. You don't have any root, though, and the first time the difficulty comes, it's gone. Third type of soil that we see that Jesus speaks about is the thorny soil. They hear the word, but it's choked out by a worldliness, materialism, and ultimately becomes unfruitful. So there's a seed that wants to spring up, but the thorns are stronger. The attachment to the world is stronger. Hey, I just want what I want. Hey, 
I was all good with the Jesus thing, and then pastor gets up and says, if you want to be like Jesus, alcohol doesn't help you get there, and I really had, like, enjoy having a couple of beers, and so I don't know that this church is for me anymore. And the love of this world chokes out the word. The love of the things of this world, riches, materialism, chokes out the word and becomes unfruitful. But Jesus speaks about the fourth type of soil, which is the good soil. Hears the word, understands the word, invests the word, and then it brings forth exponential fruit. Not like I took what I had and passed it on to another person. Jesus said can bring forth a hundredfold. Now again, we have to understand what the Bible says in the context of the Bible because I have heard, unfortunately, false teachers use this passage to say that when you give money to the Lord through the church, you're sowing a seed. And if your heart's right, you're sowing a good seed. And if you sow that seed, God's going to bring forth fruit a hundredfold. So you put in $10 in the offering basket, you're going to get back 1000 And anyone who understands the first thing about Bible interpretation would say, did Jesus really say that? No, if you read it, it says the seed is not your financial contribution to the church. The seed is the Word of God. That blows everything to pieces with that argument. Jesus is talking about the Word of God, and here's the thing. If there's good soil, it's going to bring forth so much good fruit. Now we can look at this and say, when we share our faith with people, we're going to see four different types of soil. Definitely applicable, no doubt about it. But here's the question you and I need to ask ourselves. Which one of these soils am I? I don't need to be saying like, huh, that guy over there, I wonder what his soil's like. You know, I'm, I'm watching his, you know, reaction to the word. I'm trying to see if he's uh, open to that. No, no, no. It's not my job to look at other people's soil and be a soil tester. He gives us these instructions so that we can examine our own heart. Do I love the world more than I love God's word? If I were given the opportunity to work on Sundays for an extra $3 an hour, would I do it? There's a guy at our church in California who said, uh, I'm not going to be making it to, to Sunday services anymore. I'm starting to work on Sundays. They offer me $3 more an hour. Okay, in an eight-hour shift, that's $24. After taxes, you bring home maybe $15. So you're saying $15 a week, $60 a month is more important to you than being in God's house with God's people. And here's what he said. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't argue with that. Your values are misplaced. You are, in, in Jesus' terms here, you are thorny soil. The world has choked out the word in your life. But again, I'm not trying to examine other people's hearts. I'm trying to examine my heart. And also, here's the thing. When we get back to, to James chapter 1, I determine the readiness of my heart to hear the word. I hope. Some of you probably don't have this practice, and I want to teach you and train you on how to be a better Christian. Some of you, before you ever even get in the car to come to a worship service, need to stop and pray, God, would you speak to me through your word today? God, I'm not sure what pastor has prepared, and maybe I've read ahead in Philippians where we're at and stuff like that, but God, would you make my heart open and ready to receive the word because I want to be good soil. Maybe it's a matter of sitting down before you open up your Bible and your personal worship time, your personal devotions tomorrow morning 
and said, hey, God, I do this every single time I read the Bible. God, speak to me through your word today. Amen. Open it up. This past week I was reading in Second uh, Samuel. <laughs> Absalom, David's son, was trying to kill him, and David was on the run. And I, I thought to myself, and you look at that and you go, how in the world are you supposed to get anything from a story of, of Absalom who wants to kill his father? You know what I prayed? God, help me to never think that I'm so important that I'm actually the one in charge. Again, if we read through the, the narratives of the Old Testament, the king is a picture of who? Anybody want to help me with that? King David in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus, right? But here's what Absalom did. I'm going to get everybody. Here's what the Bible said. My, my Bible reading is passing. This is what I got from him. Absalom turned the hearts of the people towards him. And what happened? He ran the king off the throne, and he told everybody he was in charge, and he turned people's hearts towards him. And I prayed, and I begged God, God, help me to never, ever desire praise for myself. Help me to never turn people to myself. Help me to always turn people to the true king, Jesus Christ. That's what I got from that. But I sat down before I ever even cracked my Bible and said, God, speak to me through your word and give me what I need to hear. And God spoke to me through his word. And it's been said before, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible. If you want to hear from God audibly, read it out loud. God doesn't speak through dreams and visions. God doesn't speak audibly. God speaks always and authoritatively through his word. And so I got to say, prepare my heart to receive the word. Now turn back to the book of James chapter 1. So again, prepare your heart for the preaching of the word of God. In this passage, uh, verse number 21, we see that a clean heart prepares us to receive the word. Clean heart. Verse 21. Lay apart, lay apart all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness. The word superfluity is not a word we use in our vocabulary or vernacular. We will from time to time use the word superfluous. Superfluous means extraneous, extra, overflowing. Sometimes we say, hey, that was just a great amount of superfluous information that I did not need to know. Bunch of extra stuff that I didn't need. Overflowing. Here's the idea. Lay apart all wickedness, does it say? Uh, verse number 21, lay apart our filthiness and the overflowing of naughtiness. And the word that's used there could also be used interchangeably with the word of wickedness. It's always interesting to me when I talk to people and they say, well, you know, well, pastor, we're all sinners. And so, you know, what I do is just part of being a sinner. Yeah, I get that. We all have a sinful nature. We all have a bent or a turn towards sin. We all have carnality in our life, but there's a difference. Get this. There's a difference in being a sinner and chasing after sin. Difference. I get frustrated sometimes I have a short temper because I'm a sinner. I'm asking God to change me day by day. I'm asking God to help me to be more like Christ. I pray for long-suffering in my life so that I won't be so frustrated and angry with people. I struggle with pride. I want to be humble like Christ. Again, like, unlike Absalom, I don't want to point people to me. I want to point people back to Jesus. 
And so I had five people come up to me today after the service and say, great message today, Pastor. No, God's word is so, so good. Man, it's so good. What a gift the Holy Spirit is, huh? Let's not focus on me. Let's focus on Christ. That's me practicing humility because I'm not good at it. What do I want to do? Pastor, there's a great message today. Yeah, did you like that part about the 12 different roles of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I'll put that together for you. You should probably clip that out and stick it on your fridge somewhere because I'll put that together for you. Well, I'm going to take credit for what God says? No. But here's the thing. There's a difference in having a sinful heart that we're created with. And there's a difference between that and being at peace with your sinful heart. Difference. And so the Bible says that we need to cleanse our heart. And so when it's talking here in verse number 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, it's not talking about the fact that, well, we're all sinners and none of us are perfect. It's talking about those who've chosen a willful, deliberate lifestyle of sin. And James says, stop that. Now again, mind you, this would have been one of the first New Testament writings that most Christians are getting. And so if James is writing to new Christians, he's basically saying, hey guys, here's how we we act like Christians. First of all, if you're living in sin, knock it off. Stop it. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Because it's not going to have the intended effect that we want. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22, Paul says, put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which you, after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, we don't have time to unpack that or even turn to it tonight, but here's what he says. Put off the old man, be renewed, and put on Christ. Get rid of the old you. He's dead. He doesn't bring you any benefit. Paul even goes back in Romans chapter 6 to say, why do you take pleasure in the things where you should be ashamed? Why do you think those things that used to live in your old life would ever bring you any happiness or joy? They don't. They only hold you down. Same language, this idea of putting off, Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8, and put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not to one another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. So again, as Christians, we're to put off sin. And please know that you put yourself in a dangerous position when you make excuses for your sin or when you lay down in your sin. Trouble every single time. We talked about it in our men's conference a few weeks ago how Solomon, or I'm sorry, Samson had killed a lion, went to visit his girlfriend, came back, and there was bees in the carcass of the lion. And he thought, I'll take some of that for myself. He made an excuse to, to sin. And we often do that. We say, hey, I've had a hard day. I deserve this. Hey, I, I've got a lot going on right now. I just need to blow off some steam. We can never make excuse for our sin And we can't receive the word if we're steeped in sin. Think about it this way. Your heart needs the word of God. And when you have sin in your life, you're creating a barrier between God's word and your heart. Sin has a barrier. And let me just tell you this. It's an impenetrable barrier. When you're steeped in sin, you don't want to hear the word. 
You don't want to hear that you're wrong. And there's some, probably some people in our church that haven't picked up that book on alcohol because they don't want to know what it has to say. There's people who don't want to read the Bible because they know what it's going to say. I don't want to go to a men's group because I know what pastor's going to say. I don't want to go to a small group on Wednesday night because I know they're going to bring something up that I don't like. Hey, again, sin creates a barrier from us being able to receive the Word of God. Sin is so damaging. It's so awful. It's so terrible. Sin corrupts our lives. It diminishes our hunger for the Word of God, and then it even clouds our understanding of the Word of God. Sin is so damaging, and it grieves me that any Christian would be able to make peace with their sin. It grieves me even more that there are churches who have instructed their congregants to be at peace with their sin. God made you this way. God understands you. God's not upset with you. It's okay. Embrace your true self. That's what God's grace is for. You wouldn't need grace if you didn't sin. And so your sin is an opportunity for God to just give you more grace. And God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change. That is a bunch of garbage. Here's, the, here's how much God hates sin. Sin was the only thing in the entire world that caused him to execute his own son. Sin was the only thing that ever caused God the Father to turn his back on and abandon his only son. God doesn't really care about my sin. He cares more about it than you can possibly imagine. And here's the thing. God doesn't just hate sin because it destroyed his son. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He doesn't just hate sin because it put his his son to death. He hates sin because he knows it's the worst thing in the world for those that are his children. Worst thing in the world. Hey, look, you're going to destroy your life if you keep doing that. I remember one time uh, when I was a kid, uh, I love, to this day I still do, I love playing with fire. And I remember um, back then you didn't have YouTube videos, praise God for that, because uh, you just got dumb kids, you know, who are in the bathroom one day and you take your mom's hairspray can, it's just flammable on it. You're like, I wonder if it really burns. And you hold out a, a, a lighter and you, it's like, whoa, that was awesome. And I remember I was standing on the backyard with my mom's hairspray. And you don't think, like, when you're, like, 10 or 11, like, mom's probably going to wonder why there's no hairspray left, right? You don't think that those things. You just do it. And I remember my dad caught me in the backyard with that. He was like, don't ever play with fire. You could burn the house down. And I was just like, whatever. It's, it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal and things like that. Fast forward, I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. I was in my dad's shop. My dad owns a, a body shop. And so uh, I had, me and my buddy were playing around with, with uh, paint thinner. And so we had a big uh, gallon, a five-gallon jug of, of paint thinner on a little swivel thing. And so I poured the paint thinner in a cup and I lit it. And it was cool. It was like, whoosh, like burned really quick. And so, well, if you put a little and there's a little fire, then if you put a lot, there'll be a lot of fire, right? And so I did. I got, this is how dumb I was. I got a styrofoam cup. <laughs> you know where this is going. 
you know where this is going. I got a styrofoam cup and a lighter, and my buddy tipped it over in the cup while I was lighting it at the same time. And so I light it, and then the fire goes up into the can of paint thinner. And then my styrofoam cup now has the bottom eaten out of it, and the fire is running out on the floor and running all over the floor of my dad's shop. And I thought for a fact, we're going to burn this whole joint down. And I was just, I was terrified. And then my number one concern after all the fire was out was what? I don't want my dad to find out, <laughs> so he cleaned everything up. Oh, my goodness. My dad had warned me, don't play around with fire. You're going to burn the house down. I almost burned his shop down as a result of it. What's the, what's the result here? My dad didn't tell me not to play with fire because he wanted to keep me from having a good time. Fire is a blast in a controlled environment. That's like my men, we, we get older, we buy grills, right? Fire. This is what we do. We buy fire pits for the backyard to burn stuff with. Like, come on. Fire is a blast in a controlled environment. My dad wasn't trying to keep me from having fun. My dad just didn't want me to get hurt. God the Father is not keeping you from sin because he wants to keep you from fun. He's trying to keep you from being hurt. And sin not only destroys your life, it takes your hunger and your appetite for the word of God and it diminishes it. Here's the thing. You will never be hungry for the, the things of God when you are full of the things of the world. Never. There's been times before where I've been starving to death. Starving. And I'm out doing stuff. I'm busy. I'll run through the McDonald's drive-thru. Nobody goes to McDonald's on purpose. It's one of those convenience factors. I take it back. We take our kids to the McDonald's drive-thru because they love the toys. Nobody ever goes to Jack in the Box on purpose, right? It's like one of those, like, it's midnight. Sorry for those of you that feel otherwise. Nobody goes to Jack in the Box on purpose like, what do you want for dinner tonight? I don't know. Jack in the Box sounds great. Nobody says that. <laughs> it's like it's 11 p.m. Nothing's open. Jack in the Box is open. There's not a line at the drive-thru. Let's go there. There's been times before I've gone through the drive-thru at McDonald's and Jack in the Box and eaten something that was totally inedible, awful for me, left me with gut rot for days. And I come home and my wife is just like, oh, I've almost got dinner ready. And it's like, well, what's for dinner? Oh, I made burgers and homemade french fries with, uh, you know, seasoning and hot sauce with barbecue sauce on the side. And I baked cupcakes for dessert. What? <laughs> I just had a 20-piece chicken nugget in the car by myself. What are you talking about? Why didn't you tell me? And here my wife has an outstanding meal that under any other circumstances I would gladly devour. But here's the problem. I don't have an appetite for it. You know why? Because I was full of processed chicken parts. <laughs> I have the same thing when we fill up on the things of the world and we're just like, ah, I don't really have an appetite for that. You know, it's interesting to me that people come to, to who we call it and uh, people have said before about our services, I'm sure nobody here has ever said this before, that people say that the, the preaching is a little bit long. A little bit long for my taste or whatever. It's interesting people that can watch a full season in one sitting of Keeping Up with the Kardashians come to church, and if it's, if it's you know, 60 minutes and 30 seconds, they're like, what a long service that was. Hey, look, you're full of the things in the world, and the things of God just don't have any appetite for you. 
And so, again, we need to be very, very careful that we examine our own hearts. When I don't desire the Word of God, something's wrong with me because my spirit should desire the Word of God. I need to ask myself, is there sin in my life? Has worldliness crowded out the Word of God? And it keeps us from appropriately understanding the Word of God. When it comes to the Bible, if we're tender to the truth, the Word has a liberating power. If you're tender to truth, you really want to find out what's broken in you. You really want to be like Christ. Your goal in life is not to be successful by the world's standards. Your goal in life is to be like Jesus. Man, the truth is so liberating. That when we're steeped in our sin, we can't seem to find a way through, and we feel so guilty for all the crud that we're involved in. And then the Holy Spirit brings to our mind 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh man, I'm set free. What a liberation. I remember the Holy Spirit brings to my mind Romans chapter 6, wherefore sin has no more dominion over you. I don't have, sin doesn't have power over me. Why do I put myself under that? The Bible reminds me in Romans chapter 6 that if I continue in sin, that it's because I've chosen to, because I chose to yield my members as instruments to unrighteousness. This is my own fault, my own choices. And I don't have to wallow in guilt and feel terrible about it. I just need to confess my sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The truth, when we're tender to it, has the opportunity to liberate us. Man, I can walk out of a church service feeling 10 pounds lighter because I've confessed my sin before God and he's forgiven it and I'm a new creature in Christ every single day. And I said every single, not every single. Every single day. So, it felt good, didn't it? Somebody just said that, Ari. It felt good to say it like that, didn't it? But here's the thing. If I'm not tender to the truth, if I'm hardened to the truth, the word only frustrates me. Oh my goodness, here's pastor again talking about how I should be like Jesus. Here's pastor again talking about how friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Here's pastor again all up on us about this, that, and the other. And when our heart's hard to the truth, the truth frustrates us. There's a, who we call is probably less than six months old. Uh, there was an older couple who came to our church and they came from a Presbyterian background and definitely more liberal theologically. And they came to our church. They never heard expository preaching before. They were blown away by it. They had, uh, had been saved earlier in life and had, hadn't really heard the gospel since. And they were fired up about that. And, and so uh, exciting. And so we, uh, Angela and I had lunch with them. And uh, we sat down and we were talking. And they said, man, we love the church. We love the people there. We just don't really feel like this church is for us. Wow. I didn't get that vibe, you know, I thought you guys were, enjoyed the church, I mean, they, they'd be here for church work days, and back then we were new, we had church work days like every weekend, and so, it was a surprise to us, and here's what they said, you know, it's just like every single week, when we come to church, you talk about how we need to change to be like Jesus, and how we need to share our faith with people who don't know Jesus, and I wanted to say, thanks for saying that, that was a compliment, you know, 
but, but here, for them, it wasn't a good thing. It seems like every week you want us to change, and every week you want us to share. And that kind of makes us uncomfortable. Okay, well, do you see it from Scripture? Oh, no, 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 we see it from Scripture clear as day. We've never seen it before, but now we see it, and now that we see it, we can't unsee it. But it just makes us uncomfortable. And see, the church that we used to go to, it was just kind of like show up, and if you were there, like, you get a gold star, <laughs> and going about your week. And so I think we're going to find something that has a little bit lower commitment. And I thought to myself, oh, that's one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. But again, when my heart is closed off to truth, it's only going to frustrate me. If I tell you every week that you need to be sharing your faith with people that you know that don't know Jesus and you don't want to do that, it's going to be frustrating every single week. If I'm telling you to walk in righteousness and holiness before God and repent of your sin and be a stellar example of what a Christian should be and you're not, that's going to be frustrating for you every single week. If we're going through a series on fear and you just want to sit at home and wring your hands and worry about everything under the sun and scroll social media and fight with people and argue with people on the internet to show and assert your dominance, you're going to be really frustrated by being here and you'll be like, great, we're talking about fear again. And so when our hearts aren't good soil, the word frustrates us. It's like a burr under our saddle. We just can't get any comfort from it as a result of it. But here's the thing. Here's what verse number 21 tells us, that a humble heart prepares us to receive the word. Verse 21 again. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. That word meekness means humility. The word meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness means strength under power. It means strength under submission. And when you and I submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God, I can come to the Word of God and say, God, speak to me through your Word even if I don't like it. And God, if I don't like it, change my heart to like it. That's receiving the Word with humility. That's receiving the Word with meekness. And so that should always be our approach to the Word. And here's the thing. When you read something in the Word that you don't like, ask God why. And maybe he'll show it to you. Maybe you just need to submit. Hey, if I ever preach something from the pulpit here, from the Word that you don't like, please see me afterwards. Let's talk about it. I want to help you understand the Scriptures. I really do. And again, in eight years almost of, of public speaking, you know, three times a week usually, I've said some pretty boneheaded things that I had to maybe go back and apologize for or make right or step on somebody's toes and want them to understand where I'm coming from. Because here's the thing, the Bible's an offensive book. I don't know if you've figured that out yet or not. The Bible is offensive. You know what it says? You're wrong and you need to change. Nobody wants to hear that. I want to hear, I'm good. I want to hear again, God is for me. God loves me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's what I want to hear. But the Bible isn't it, all pats on the head. The Bible sometimes is a, a knee to the gut. Sometimes the, the God's word is a knuckle sandwich to the face. And it hurts and it doesn't feel good. But when we come to the word of God with humility and we get punched in the face, we can say, God, thanks for, thanks for punching me in the face because I needed a wake-up call. <laughs> All the kids got a kick out of that one. <laughs> Does the Bible really punch you in the face? 
You'll get it when you're older, I promise. Ask your parents when you get home if they've ever been punched in the face by the Bible. Uh, so, but again, a humble heart says, yes, I needed that. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't enjoy it, but I needed that in my life. Our attitude towards the word determines its ability to change us. Again, if I have a humble heart and I receive the implanted and grafted seed of the word of God, it has the ability to bring forth fruit. And again, if I am good soil, it's going to bring forth not just a little bit of fruit, but exponential fruit. That one seed planted in good soil can bring forth 100-fold increase. My parents took me to church every single week of the world. If we weren't in church because it was because somebody was dead or dying, that's the only reason we didn't go to church when I was a kid. There were times where I hated it. There were times where I was frustrated by it. There were times when my heart was hard towards it. I remember my, my teen years, we would go to, quote, youth group, and I call it, quote, youth group, because it wasn't really a youth group. Basically what happened is our church had a gymnasium where the teens would meet, and it was a five-minute devotional that we made really, really hard on our youth leader, and then we played basketball for 55 minutes. It was awesome. And I'm telling you this, I could get a crowd to show up for Wednesday night youth group. Hey, guys, sit down, shut up for five minutes, and then we get to play ball. And, and look, if he had three points, we're just like, we'll give you a point and a half, and after that, we're out of here. Because I didn't have a right heart towards the Word of God. The seed was good, the soil wasn't. But you know what happened over a period of time? The soil began to change. And then I began to desire the Word of God. I want to hear the Bible now. I don't have to hear the Bible. I'm a grown man. I don't have to show up to church. I want to be in church. I don't have to sit and listen to preaching. I get to listen to preaching. I don't have to listen to worship music. I want to listen to worship music. I don't have to stand and sing. I get to stand and praise the God of all creation with my brothers and sisters. What a gift, what a gift. What's the difference? The difference isn't the product. The difference is the process. My heart changed. And so our attitude towards the word, our heart determines the ability of the word to change us. And we have to maintain a teachable spirit. Please understand, when you become the expert on all things spiritual, you have deceived yourself. I'll repeat that again. When you have become the expert on all things spiritual, you have deceived yourself. I don't have all the answers, I'll be honest. I want to learn more. I want to grow more. I read probably... I don't know, 40, 50 books a year because I want to learn and grow more. I read books on pastoring. I read books on public speaking. I read books on spiritual leadership. I read books on parenting. I read books on marriage. I don't have all the answers. I want to grow. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I'm not the expert on everything. There are times where people come talk to me about problems that they got going on in their life or their marriage and, or with their children. And I'll say things like, you need to speak to a professional therapist that deals with things like this that has professional training. I can help you spiritually, but you need emotional help with this that I'm not qualified for. And so we don't need to run to the Bible going, oh yeah, I've heard this story before. Man, I've read the story of Absalom and David two, three dozen times in my life. And this week, God just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I thought to myself, God forbid that I ever build a kingdom for myself and take away the kingdom from the real king of kings. 
man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't go to this and go, oh, yeah, David and Absalom again. Here we go. No, 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 no. Before I ever cracked the word, I said, God, speak to me through your word and change me through it. And God did. But we have to maintain a teachable spirit. Who we call it was fairly new. I'd say we were probably, I don't know, probably two years old or so at, the, at this time. A man came in on a, a Sunday morning, and at that time, we didn't have a lot of uh, really mature Christians in their faith. We were kind of starting base level. We didn't have our discipleship program up and running yet. We were kind of doing some discipleship-ish things. We didn't really have a, a structured discipleship program. We we're trying to put all the pieces together for that. And there's a, a couple that came in, and uh, he was a uh, lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and, you know, he came in, the first thing he tells me is about his job that he does and how high up he is in his rank and how all the people that he commands and everything he's in charge of. I was like, okay, this guy's got an impressive resume, I guess, according to the world. He wants to share that with me. And mind you, this is their very first Sunday here that he had come. And we're about, I don't know, maybe two minutes into a conversation. And he says, hey, at our last church, I was, uh, I was a deacon. At our last church, I was a Sunday school teacher. And whenever the pastor was on vacation, I was always the first one to preach. So if you need any help around here, I'm your guy. And he did the kind of chest thump thing. And I thought, that's so awkward. Like, I don't think I've ever thunked my chest at any boy. Like, we, we talk about symbolically, like, oh, the guy showed up, there was a lot of chest thumping going on. But this guy had to literally thump his chest. And I thought to myself, bro, I didn't know you two minutes ago, and the thought of you ever stepping in the pulpit of who we call a Baptist church and cracking God's word will never happen as long as you're alive. Ever. And here's what I found. This guy, according to him, was one of the sharpest people when it came to spiritual things he'd ever met in his life. They didn't last long here, if you can imagine that. Once he realized that he wouldn't have a platform for himself and have the opportunity to share the multitude of wisdom that he had, I told him, hey, why don't you jump in a small group and just get to know people and just learn? Well, see, in my last church, I was the starter of all the small groups. Hey, this wasn't your last church. Well, my previous pastor, I'm not your previous pastor. And it didn't last long because he didn't have a humility. He didn't have a teachable spirit. Oftentimes, even when people will, will join who we call as church members, they'll say, hey, I want to jump in in children's ministry. Hey, if you've only been here for a couple of months, hang tight for a little bit. See just how we do things. Get to know a lot of people. Understand our philosophy of ministry, why we do things the way that we do. Sit in on Super Church for a couple of weeks before you decide that that's something that you want to do. Because everybody needs to learn. Everybody needs to grow. And I want you to understand just kind of who we are as a church. And a lot of times people are like, well, in our last church, I was the leader of the children's ministry. I don't have to sit and listen to anything. Ah, that's not a teachable spirit. I don't like that. God's word doesn't like that. And when it comes to receiving the word, oh, I listen to XYZ pastor's podcast. I don't know what our pastor can bring. Oh, no, no, no. You, you misunderstood the scriptures again. Here's the thing. If a 15-year-old boy gets up here and opens the word of God and exposits it, you can learn from him. Might not have any life experience to back it up. Might not have a lot of funny stories. But when God's word gets preached, God's word does the work. So I've got to have an open, receptive, humble heart. Receive the word with meekness. I want to be good soil. And so beware of a proud heart in relation to the word because pride ruins everything. Pride ruins everything. Nobody wants our relationship with the Bible to be ruined Pride will do it. I've done this before. You probably haven't because you're probably a lot more spiritual than I am. 
But I've heard messages before that as I'm hearing it, I'm thinking to myself, huh, I wish Steve from work could hear this. This would light him up like a Christmas tree. I hope my wife's listening to what he said on that last point right there, that verse. I hope she mentioned that. I want to mention that on the car ride home to see if she got anything from that. There's been times before that as the pastor's preaching, I'll look down the aisle at my kids and make those parent like eyebrows like, did you just hear what he said? Why? Because we love it. We love for other people to be smitten by the word, right? We love for the, the word to get other people. Oftentimes we don't like the word to get us. It hurts. We get offended. We get our feelings hurt. We get our toes stepped on. I didn't like that. That didn't feel good. Again, don't have a proud attitude towards the word. Have a humble attitude towards the word. Like, hey, maybe I need my toes stepped on. Maybe I need a heart check. Maybe I need to readjust my priorities in life. And so, again, if we take a look at verse number 21 again. Wherefore, lay apart all, f- naughty, uh, all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So James says here, if you are saved, the gospel found good soil in the heart of those that are born again. If you're saved, at some point in your life, you had good soil. Now, do you maintain good soil? That's a totally different story, and that's totally up to you. But if you receive the word at some point, the word, you were born again by the word of God, the gospel, and the gospel found, the seed of the gospel found some really good soil the day that you were born again. Now, the problem comes when you begin to harden that soil or the thorns come up and choke out the word. But at some point, the word caused you to be born again and there was good soil at some point. We just got to make sure that we maintain good soil. So, I love what he says, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Here's the thing, the gospel saves sinners. You cannot be saved apart from the word of God. There's general revelation Romans chapter 1, God's revealed himself in all men so that they're without excuse. Creation declares the, the handiwork of our creator. You can't look at a sunset and think to yourself like, hey, this, all of this just came out of nothing. For those of us that have had the opportunity to experience our children being born, you can't see that whole process when it goes from just a little peanut on a screen to a person that comes out that cries, that really, really needs you. You can't look at that and go, wow, this was some big, crazy, cosmic accident. You go, wow, what a gift. And so, by the same token, we can't just say that creation tells us about Jesus. God's Word tells us about Jesus. That's why the Gospel is so precious to us. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You can't be saved apart from the gospel. That's why you and I need to know the gospel, live the gospel, and share the gospel. Because the gospel saves sinners. The gospel keeps believers. You are saved by the power of the gospel, and you are also kept by the power of the gospel. What does that mean? That means you can't lose your salvation because you didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. 
that God's grace forgives sin, not just the day that you got saved, but every single day after that. And the gospel keeps you in the grace of God. The gospel sanctifies believers. At the root of the gospel is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the the root of the gospel. And you didn't just need that the day that you got saved. You needed it this morning too. You're going to need it tomorrow morning too. And so the gospel for us keeps us. The gospel sanctifies us. And the gospel defines our relationship with our Father. The gospel is what allows me to be called a a son of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received, and wherein you stand. Our standing with God is based on our response to the gospel. If you reject the gospel, you have determined that your standing is is as an enemy of God. If you receive the gospel by faith, That has determined your standing is a child of God. And so for us, it defines our relationship with our Father. It determines whether we are an enemy of God or a child of God. The gospel does. Again, that's why I say every single week when I share the gospel, you will not get to heaven and be allowed into heaven based on what you've done. It's based on what did you do with the gospel. That's why for you and I, again, it's such a big deal. That's why every single Sunday morning, at some point throughout the message, we're going to get around to the gospel. Every week. I want you to hear it so much that it becomes second nature for you. I want you to hear it so much that you could quote, if you needed to, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 from memory, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to be so familiar with that that you could sit somebody down and you can say hey look god loves you john 3 16 hey we've all sinned i've sinned you sinned we've all broken god's law there's consequences for our sin death and not just death on this life but death in the next hell's prepared for all those who have sinned and that's me and you we deserve it but god loves us so much he doesn't want us to go to hell he sent his son jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins and steve If you'd be willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he would save you. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be good. You don't have to get baptized. Steve, you just need to put your faith in Jesus. There's only two things God wants from you. He wants your faith and he wants your repentance. Steve, can you think of any reason in the world why you wouldn't want to receive Jesus today? I hope you know the gospel well enough. Maybe you can't rattle it off like that. But I'm telling you this. I can rattle it off like that because I've done it thousands of times in my lifetime. I can tell you the first time I shared the gospel with somebody, it was a rambling mess. The very first time I was sent to somebody's home to share the gospel with them, Stephen, uh, Mark and Susie Hansen, I told the story before, we talked about everything under the sun except for the gospel because I was terrified, terrified. But they came back to church the next Sunday and they said, Hey, could, is there anybody that could tell us how to be saved? <laughs> we were supposed to do that. We failed. And so we took Mark and Susie back in a Sunday school classroom. We opened the gospel and, and went through what the Bible says. And Mark and Susie got saved. First, couple, first person I ever led to Christ in my life. I think I was probably 23 years old, 24 years old. Terrified. But here's the thing. 
The power of God unto salvation is not Anthony King's ability. The power is in the gospel. The power to change your life and mine doesn't reside in our ability to be good and do good stuff. It resides in the power of God's word. But here's the thing. God's word, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to say it. God's word has no power in your life if you harden your heart. You're just the wayside soil. The seed comes down, it bounces off, and the devil snatches it away. But the word of God has no power in your life if you harden your heart. So receive the word with meekness, humility. God, tell me the things that I don't want to hear. God, change me from the inside out. God, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to lay aside my filthiness. My superfluity, overflowing of naughtiness and wickedness. Help me to receive your word. Maybe for some of you that means just more time in the, in the word this week. Maybe it means preparing your heart before you ever even show up to church on Sunday. Maybe it's for, as a family before you guys walk into church, before you jump out the car, you say, hey guys, let's pray before we go in. Maybe it's helping our children to cultivate the soil of their heart. So that when they're old, the, the word that they've been receiving, the good seed, didn't just bounce off, it actually takes root somewhere. So we need to make sure that our relationship to the word is right. So maybe there's sin you need to confess. Maybe you just need to humble yourself before the word. Maybe you just need to obey God and, and what he says. But whatever the case here, the word will do the work if you'll submit yourself to it. I can honestly tell you this, that Angela and I made a decision two decades ago to submit ourselves to the authority of the word of God. And we made a decision, we, we went forward at an altar, and we prayed a prayer that I didn't get at the time. I didn't know the ramifications of what it would be, but it was simply this, God, whatever you tell us to do from here on out, we'll, the answer is yes, we will obey. Amen, we went back to our seat. It was like a 10 second prayer. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I know what it means now. And you're seated here tonight at Who We Call a Baptist Church because of a commitment we made to the word of God and obedience two decades ago. It's almost, here's the crazy thing. It's almost like the seed, when it found good soil, brought forth fruit like a hundredfold, like exponentially. And here's the thing, God wants to do it in your life too. Keep your heart open and receptive to the Word of God this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.